Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. This is the good stuff. Yeah. The Laugh Podcast. With Oscar, me. or uh, Laugh Reviews the Oscars. Laugh, laugh, laugh goes to the Oscars. <laughs> this is the last laugh goes to the Oscars. It's sad. It's the eighth and final movie of the best movies for 2015. Birdman. I like it. I'm a host. The L Trade. Over there is the two frames. How are you, sir? Doing well. Pleasure to be here. Ready to talk about some Birdman? Oh, I'm ready. I've been waiting to do this one for two months now. Let's get right into it. Yeah? Uh, when I was a kid, there was a TV show called Birdman. Really? Yeah. It was a cartoon. Yep. Uh, he had an eagle as his sidekick. And to get his powers back, he would fly close to the sun. Like Superman. Is that what Superman does? Yeah, Superman. How does he uh, lose powers? He, he needs the he needs the sunlight from our sun to power himself up. Huh. In fact, he just got a new superpower. He can explode. And then he, he releases all of his energy from uh, the solar power in his cells, and it takes him like twenty four hours to recharge. So during that time, he doesn't have superpowers. Didn't he? He die? could be killed. Yeah, he died back in the nineties, but that was only for a couple of issues. Huh. Well, Birdman was only for from 1967 to 1969. Wow, you have an awesome memory on that stuff. (laughs) I looked it up. (laughs) Because I remembered it. I kind of halfway remembered it. I think it was on like Hanna-Barbera's early morning cartoon shows. Do you think... On Saturday morning. The creators of this film had any knowledge of Birdman, or were they going for some other illusion? I don't know. Yeah, uh, well, Anuritu... The Oscar, what's his name? Oscar Gonzalez. Is it Oscar? Alejandro. Alejandro. <laughs> Oscar's his American cousin. <laughs> Alejandro Gonzalez Enyarito's Mexican. So, I think he's the first Mexican director to win an Oscar or to be nominated for an Oscar for Best Director. Quite possibly. Yeah, for Beautiful or 21 Grams or one of those other ones that he did before Birdman. But this is, uh, uh, I mean, not being American, I, I don't know what his early, like, childhood memories would have been. He doesn't mention anything. I've seen anything about Birdman, the, the TV show. No, I mean, to me, Birdman is just a veiled reference to Batman. Do you think that because of the Michael Keaton connection? The Michael Keaton connection, definitely the costume with the way the um, mask just covers the top part of his face. It looks very much like the Batman costume. When uh, Edward Norton and Michael Keaton were at the Comic-Con or South by Southwest or something, they were given a dual interview. I think uh, one of them, I think it was the Edward Norton, he said, wouldn't it be great if people went to this movie thinking it was going to be one of those awesome superhero movies? Oh. It just got... Like, how long would it take for them to like, be really upset when they found out it wasn't anything like they expected? Oh, yeah, no, I could definitely see people getting mad, because in the trailer, yeah. they showed the one scene that is heavily special effects driven. That was the, I think it was after that, they showed that trailer, and that he mused 
about whether or not people were going to be upset going to it and how long it would take. And then Keaton said that I think he saw John Huston's last movie, which was called The Dead, mm-hmm. which was based on a series of short stories by uh, James Joyce. It's like this very deep psychological treatise on life in Ireland, you know, in the 1920s or whatever. I think it has Angelica Houston in it, his daughter, and, uh, or, yeah, Jack Nicholson's wife mm-hmm. for a while. And uh, I haven't seen much of her. No. But either way, uh, she, she was uh, great in Adam's family. That's probably the last thing I saw her in. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, I can't remember. But anyway, he went to go see this movie with. A, I mean, he just went on a whim, and he saw there were a group of people there that he said didn't look like they were fans of James Joyce or <laughs> John Huston. It, it, he just counted down until they got up and left. He said a lot of them waited like 15 minutes while this deep psychological musing went on in, in the dead. Oh, yeah. So well, there have been a couple of films. Uh, Drive got sued by a woman who thought it was going to be more like the Fast and the Furious. Instead, it's a very slow, methodically paced That's ridiculous. film. Um, the Aristocrats. The Aristocrats. <laughs> uh, a woman was see. mad after she brought her like seven-year-old to the film, and she walked out after 15 minutes, which, if you've seen that movie, it probably sets the record for F-bombs and In swearing. The first two minutes. Yeah, because yeah. it's a documentary about the dirtiest joke ever. And various comedians all tell their version of the joke. I wonder if it's the same woman. <laughs> if they're related somehow. That would be awesome. She just goes like strange movies <laughs> that have weird conceits and then sues. But she had to undermine her own uh, case when she went in there after 15 minutes. She said that she left, right? Yeah, she thought it was the Disney film, she The Aristocats. That woman couldn't have won her drive lawsuit either. Did she? No, no. I'm That's pretty sure stupid. it all got thrown out. All right, um, so... But to make sure our listeners don't get confused, what is this movie about? Right. This movie, Birdman's about a washed-up actor, played by Michael Keaton as Riggan Thompson, who plays an iconic superhero in his past, who battles his ego and attempts to rescue... Or, sorry, recover his family, his career, and himself... In the days leading up to the opening of a Broadway play. This is from the IMD short capsule. I like it. It also stars uh, Emma Stone as Sam. Zach Galifianakis as his best friend. Slash manager. Slash lawyer. Naomi Watts as um, one of the co-stars. Andrea Riseborough. As another co-star, and then the final co-star is Edward Norton as Mike. In his, uh, he was Oscar nominated for best supporting actor for this role. I think uh, Michael Keaton was nominated for best actor, right? And Emma Stone for best supporting actress. Yeah, uh, in total, there are nine Oscar nominations for this film. Um, all of the major ones: uh, best picture, which is why we're reviewing it today. The three acting performances that you just touched on. Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Screenplay. Um, and then I think it's also got some of the lesser ones, but still important, uh, like sound editing and sound mixing. So, What's the over-under? For number of Oscars for yeah. it? Ooh, what would I put this at for you? 
three. Ooh, I'm going over. Over three, wow. Yeah. So you're expecting this to win a lot. I can think of two right offhand, and I think it'll win. I used I used to be certain that Boyhood was going to win, but now I think Birdman will. Ooh. You know why? Why? Because they sent out action figures to the voting committees. <laughs> and I saw the action figure. It's like a real action figure, and it has like the actor's voice in it. Says one of the lines from the play. You press a little button on it. Oh, that's awesome! It's Birdman, yeah. The other ones you get like, I don't know, posters maybe or a notebook with the with the title on it or something. I don't know. It's graft. I like the Birdman action figures. It would be wonderful if they made this into a the Birdman into a like little Saturday morning cartoon. Just one episode got well, Michael Key into. They already did it. that. 1967. No, but the re- uh, I don't think, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. It uh, would be incredibly like a- meta if you could get the Blu-ray of this and you could watch a 22-minute cartoon. Well, this thing is very meta. This is oh. very self-referential and self-reverential as well. I can <laughs> put both of those together because um, it's well aware of what it's doing, I think, like those three actors that we mentioned were all in superhero movies of their own. Yeah. Uh, I think Emma Stone was in the Batman or a Spider-Man movie. She was in the last two Amazing Spider-Mans. Edward Norton was a Hulk. Probably the best Hulk. I don't know. You know, I I liked his Hulk. That's probably the Hulk movie I liked the most. I still kind of like the first one, but I understand why people didn't. Oh, you're talking about the Ang Lee, yeah. Yeah. let's watch him bounce through yeah. the desert for Well, 10 I mean, that was a small part of it. That went on and It was a little on. bit more psychological than the others, though. I kind of like that about it. But either way. And then uh, Michael Keaton was in those Batman movies when I was a kid. He was the original Batman. For, well, after Adam West. But he was the movie Batman Yeah, that uh, we grew up with, that I grew up with. And you kind of came in between, right? I remember watching the Batman movies when I was young. I, I was more uh, raised on Batman the Animated Series. Oh, okay. With the, the the Mark cartoon. Hamill in it. Yeah, Mark Hamill playing the Joker. Tim Conway, maybe, was the voice of Batman. Um, so, Batman's always been a part of my childhood growing up and probably my favorite superhero. But, no, I love the Keaton. I love him in this. And I think he's very aware of what he's doing. I give him a lot of credit for being willing to make fun of himself. Even Ed Norton it pokes a lot of fun at his character. Well, both of them claim that they that it's not um, really about them. It's not really about it's not really about Michael Keaton. That the fact that he played Batman is is just a unique uh, twist. Oh no. no. I, Although Enrico claims that he co-wrote it with thinking of him as the actor. But Zach Galifianakis said that the idea of celebrity crossing paths with the actor's real personality or the role's real personality is is just a it's a made-up thing that it doesn't really happen. He says they're all just actors. So their real life doesn't necessarily bleed over into their roles. I just, I mean, I can understand what he's saying to some extent. 
with the fact that pretty much everyone now is in a superhero movie at some point in their careers. It's getting hard to find an actor now who hasn't been in something. Okay. I mean, really, uh, you know, even great actors like Anthony Hopkins, he did Thor. Michael Douglas is going to be an Ant-Man. Yeah, but they didn't star as Thor or Ant-Man. But so. it's going to be hard for you to have a career in Hollywood and not to have been in a comic book movie at some point. Okay. I mean, you could say, I guess you could say it would have been hard for Paul Newman and Steve McQueen to be in the movies without having been in a Western. Oh, in, true. You know, in the 70s. Yeah. So, or a disaster movie. So, I mean, it, it, the, those superhero movies play with the same tropes and themes. Very much so. So, it makes sense, I guess. I don't think it's necessarily criticism, but... But I also think it's dismissive to not acknowledge these actors' past. Because Michael Keane arguably is best known for the Batman role. So Mr. you Mom. cast him at... <laughs> Mr. Mom, Beetlejuice, yeah, I mean, I've heard people say those things, but everyone knows he was the first movie Batman. There's a lot of criticism for him being named Batman when it happened. Oh, yeah. I remember the controversy. Well, his previous movie before that is Beetlejuice, also directed by Tim Burton. Tim Burton does Beetlejuice, and a year later does Batman. And a lot of people were upset that Tim Burton was going to direct Batman. Because they'd only seen him do these goofy films, uh, Pee Wee, Herman's Big Adventure, uh-huh. Beetlejuice, like I said. And then you know, he goes does Batman and he casts Michael Keane, the guy who had largely been doing comedic roles up until this point. Mr. Mom, Gung Ho, uh, Night Shift. Night Shift was a good movie. Well, they're all good movies, but yeah. uh, he... Well, Gung Ho, I don't know how good <sighs> that is. Isn't that the only other time that the kid that was in... Uh... 16 Candles played a role in a movie. He's a major American, Japanese-American actor for a year and a half. <laughs> I can't remember his name, but he was the... Uh, I think he was in 16 Candles. He's like the Joseph Cotton of Michael or of uh, 80s comedies. Joseph Cotton arguably had a much longer career than a year and a half. But I thought Joseph Cotton was only in something like five movies... I know and they were all nominated for Best Picture. Oh, you know it's who else is like that? Streak I don't like think that. it's... Well, Well, that may or may not be true, but the other guy that's like that was uh, Fredo in uh, the Godfather movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, he died shortly after doing Deer Hunter. Yeah, I think every movie that he was in, and there were only four, were nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, Dog he, Day Afternoon. He never got a Best Actor nomination or anything. Um but I didn't know that about Joseph Cotton. But that guy was pretty interesting. And then he died, you're right, he died of cancer right after filming uh, Deer Hunter. Yeah. He was actually going to treatments for cancer. He, had, he was taking whatever chemotherapy, like primitive form of chemotherapy they had in the 70s during the filming of that movie. Yeah, during Deer Hunter. And he only worked on that film because he was so sick. He said... Uh, you have to let my girlfriend have a part in this movie. And do you know who his girlfriend was? Emma Thompson. Meryl Streep. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that that's movie what I was gives Meryl Streep her big break into films. Wow. And then she's. So if it wasn't for cancer, we wouldn't have Meryl Streep. Huh. <laughs> I wonder what if the Streep would have risen to the top. 
she's a pretty good actress. Pretty good actress, but largely unknown, and always the problem is getting your foot in the door. Huh. Yeah, well, yeah. So, does... Is Bradley Cooper in a uh, superhero movie? Bradley Cooper, superhero movie. Or is he the oh, yeah, one he that was Rocket Raccoon the... in Galaxy. Uh, okay, Guardians of the Galaxy. Voice actor. Uh-huh. Voice actor. Uh, A-team, I don't know if you want to count that. Would have, would have been the best part of, uh, of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I think. Would have been, if not for... Groot. <laughs> he did the best voice acting. Oh, Vin Diesel's with Groot. one word. I thought Vin Diesel was great in there. He had Groot's character. I also like Drax. Uh, Dave Batista's. Yeah, he's pretty good. It's got him a ton of work. Uh, now Dave Batista, he's going to be the villain henchman in the new Bond movie, uh-huh. and he just got hired for uh, the lead ro- or the lead villain role in the remake of Kickboxer. Arguably Jean-Claude Van Damme's best uh, movie. Is he going to do that split? Oh, well, the Van Damme split across like two chairs. (laughs) That would be awesome. I don't see Batista doing that, but he'll make a good villain. Who was the guy? Who was the guy on the Deer Hunter? Uh, John Cazale. Okay, all right, yeah. Good actor, great actor. Yeah. All right, so getting back to Birdman, (laughs) it's a bit of a digression. What did you think? I really liked the film. Uh, I knew the conceit going in that it was all going to be one shot or filmed as one shot. I think I told you about that. Yeah, you told me about that because from the trailer you didn't get it. I think I would have picked up on it pretty quick. Well, yeah. I mean, anybody does. I don't know. and that's something uh, We can get back to that later. Just, right. I'm not sure everyone picks up on that. But I, I loved watching the cinematography. I loved watching the acting performances. The uh, cinematographer was the same guy that won last year for Gravity. Uh, Emmanuel Lubeski. And who's also famous for doing other long takes. Um, Children of Men. With Inurito. Or yeah. Inurito. They invented Inurito a new camera that. for that, no? Huh? Um, I think it was someone else. But anyway, that, that long take in the car that's like 12 minutes long that doesn't call attention to itself until it's about halfway done. And then finally you realize they haven't cut for an awful long time. There was another long take in that same movie that involved moving tables and moving cha- and they had like actors on a pneumatic lift that mm-hmm. would lower them out of the way so that the camera could move between them. Mm-hmm. And it had to be like intensely choreographed as did this movie. Birdman had to it went through a year long choreography session of uh, not even the real actors. He had stand-ins. Okay, it's, I would love to see, did he use a bunch of previs on this? or They apparently, he had the, the theater in mind that they used in the movie, and he had a mock-up made of it in, somewhere in Hollywood. And his crew would work through the paces because they had to be on the same time as, as the actors. And then the actors and actresses, that after they were cast, they got together and rehearsed with the camera people for a long time. Like, the shoot was only a month. Mm-hmm. 
which is interesting compared to Boyhood, which was 12 years. And these these are the two best picture nominees that are most likely to win. In two very different styles of yeah. filmmaking. Yeah. Where Boyhood was largely improv. I mean, they had broad ideas of where the character needed to go during the course of a scene. Well, they changed the ending of Birdman Ooh. during the course of the movie. They didn't really like the ending. The um, Alex Delaris mm-hmm. was one of the co-writers. And they knew what the beginning was going to be all along. Uh, Anyuritu called him up and said, Hey, I have a vision of a dude in his underwear floating in the middle of a room somewhere. And that's the image that opens the movie. And they had that all along. That's kind of what they started with. And they worked through a whole bunch of different ideas and they bounced ideas off themselves. So they called each other at like 2 in the morning, him and the other uh, screenwriter, which I can't remember his name is. He and uh, Alejandro and Yurutu and Dinlaris are all up for best screenplay, I think. Best original screenplay. But they would call each other at like 2 and 3 in the morning and had a whole bunch of ideas that they would throw off of each other and they wound up with the script that they wanted to use, except for the ending. I I think that's interesting that you just start with this image in your head and then around that you have to create this whole story. And the image has nothing to do with the story that unfolds or really the themes. Really? I think it does. (laughs) No, I think it really does. They want to strip the actor bare. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Okay. Well, think about the number one psychological fear that that you have, or and what a lot of dreams are that expose fears. Oh, being naked. Being naked in public, and that happens a lot in the play. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, in the movie. Sorry. I, I think we've talked about in other shows. I'm. I don't have that dream. I've never had that one. I have the falling dream. Well, the falling and flying are up there too, and there's a whole lot of. Th- flying in this obviously oh, yeah. with the bird man uh do you have teeth dreams i do have the teeth dreams that my never, teeth that's are very so weird. brittle and they're like intricately put together I actually cracked a tooth once when i was asleep Oof. yeah i woke up and there was like a half a tooth in my mouth that was brutal but i never had that dream the so you- fear of public speaking and public humiliation and then dreams of flying so you think this whole movie is about dreams then no i think it's about the deep psychology of the individual anurito says it's about how the ego drives the artist Hmm. and those two actors oh i think all the actors sort of mentioned that they felt their part was anurito keaton says it's not me it's it's him and uh Ed Norton said, "I'm the the role I'm playing is Anyarito's public image. I mean, I wear his scarf for a lot of the movie, and I'm, you know, I, I've heard him say a lot of the things that that I say in the film. So these are all just various aspects to the same person. Yeah, I think so. If you're looking at the movie as like a sort of a, a psychological." examination I think it's a, it is a psychological examination of that director that's how I kind of see it and then everything else is sort of a sideline so no. I mean yeah no I, I definitely think the film can be read on that way 
I think it's also trying to say a lot about the cult of celebrity. Yeah. In that this char- that the Reagan character played by Michael Keaton started off as an actor, had aspirations of being an actor, loving being in front of a crowd, and at some point he became a celebrity actor. And or now he, he's trying to regain that. But he's never really comfortable in that role. Yeah. And especially in today's society, because there's a lot of commentary on the role of uh, of not technology, but like social. What is it? Social. Media. Yeah, social media. The Twitter and the Facebook. And I can I can see that for a person his age, my age. Oh yeah. On your age, it's just a weird thing for us. We haven't grown up. We didn't grow up in that world where if you get caught out the street, disrobed, <laughs> that that image would show up on YouTube or Facebook, you know, in several different iterations. It's It completely changes the way that we view our world. Well, yeah, everyone now not only has a camera on them, but they have a video camera capable of sound, capable of uploading it instantly to the net. Yeah, you see people with, uh, if they go watch a fight, if they see a fight break out, or anything interesting, like let's say a uh, let's say a meteor fell from the sky, right? Mm-hmm. Or an elephant gets out of the zoo. If people were watching that mm-hmm. nowadays, most people would be watching it on their phone as they videotape it Pretty all, through their phone. So they're seeing that everything that happens one step removed from reality. So I think uh, that Black Mirror kind of played with that oh, true. theme. Well, that, that, that's in this movie. That, that's part of what elevates it. Yeah, no, social media is crazy. Uh, earlier this week at my wife's school, there was a bomb scare. And she texted me. and So I went on wavy.com, the local news website. Nothing. Checked Daily Press, the local newspaper website. Nothing. Right. I go on Twitter... It's updating every, like, three seconds with someone else posting something. Huh. You know, I was able to find out if anything was going on. Yeah. Are bomb scares really that scary? Yeah. Come on. I mean, except for, like, 1963 in Alabama. Yeah, but when it's someone you care about. I mean, your rational brain is saying, yeah, I'm not worried about this. But the reptile part of your brain, it's a little worried. And Since 1963, has there ever been a school that got bombed? Unless there were people like, like, okay, has there ever been a situation, ever, including the four little girls in Selma, Alabama, has there ever been a situation where someone called up and said, hey, I planted a bomb in your school? And there has been a bomb? And there has been a bomb. Oh, I'm sure a bomb's gone off at some point. I I don't know. There have been bombs planted, most famously the Columbine uh, massacre. They had bombs in their car that were set to go off like three hours after the massacre. But they didn't call them up and give them a heads up. But it is scary, yeah. I think there was one in Kentucky, though, where the kids called the school and called in a bomb threat. And then when the kids started evacuating school, that's when they started picking them off with their shotguns and their rifles from a hillside somewhere. I kind of remember that. I would argue that the bomb scare... Uh, I'm just saying... Social media, you can oh, yeah, yeah. you can sure. find out the news so right. much quicker than actually going to a news. Yeah, source. that's something that the news has to deal with too. Like Brian Williams, 
it's a big debate now about you know his veracity and mm-hmm. he's the face of NBC News. Nobody under the age of twenty five knows who he is. Ever even heard of him? Right? If, if they if if they come out and said, yeah, I've told a few stretchers in my life. Sorry, that would have been it. Mm-hmm. I think because who cares? I don't know. I don't care. No, and I think this movie's dealing a lot with uh, all that stuff. It, it's dealing with uh, was it to be an actor? I think the Ed Norton character he has a line. When he's talking to Emma Stone about he doesn't really know how to feel and act in real life. But when he gets on the stage, that's when things turn real for him. And he can feel those emotions. Uh-huh. It's kind of interesting. Well. The time that everything's the most real for you is when you're faking it. I guess that's, I don't know. I guess that's true for actors. Um, you know, I often have students, they go, how can you like pro wrestling? That's fake. And I go, I like movies, too, and you never come up to me and go, that's fake. (laughs) You know, for whatever reason, there's that conceit that you're willing to suspend your disbelief during a movie, but not for pro wrestling. Well, you are. I am, yeah. (laughs) But even, you know, theater's even better with that. You know that these people on the stage are not the parts that they're playing. They're right in front of you, but you're willing to suspend your disbelief. I love that, especially with school plays. You know those students up there on the stage. You know you know your best friend Joe is playing the Beast in Beauty and the Beast. But for two hours, he is the Beast. Huh. You know, the girl Sarah in your English class, she is Belle. Huh. I think that's wonderful that, for whatever reason, in humans, we can suspend our disbelief like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You're... And I, I do think this film is talking, does a lot of that. Because at times we're willing to suddenly suspend our disbelief about the Michael Keaton character. That he's normal and rational and then all of a sudden he starts to develop superhero powers. Yeah. And we just go normal. along with it. At no point was I going, this is ridiculous. That happens early in the movie too. Well, it starts off with him floating in air. Right. And you just go with it. Um... So, should we get into some type of spoiler warning, or are we just kind of assuming that everybody's no, I, already watched it? I don't think we spoiled. We haven't spoiled much. anything. We've been well, very uh, abstract. I, I may so, have spoiled some of the, you know, stuff from the nineteen sixty seven <laughs> cartoon. I think we can play the spoiler warning. All right. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. Oh, Cassius. gave the word too early. His soldiers felt a spoil. Spoiler warning. (laughs) There it is. I like it. Well done. So, it's all on the table now? Yeah. Don't listen anymore if you haven't watched the film. Well, no. They already knew not to listen anymore. From the spoiler? They should have already stopped listening. (laughs) If you haven't stopped listening, you better stop. We're going to root it for you. We're going to root it for you. All right, so what did you want to say that's so spoilerific? I I think we have to talk about the gun. Okay, so in the movie, this is the play. uh, The Michael Keaton character, Riggan Thompson, has put together a movie based on a short story by Raymond Carver, Mm -hmm. which is called... Things to, that we talk about when we talk about love. 
Um, and that movie, I'm sorry, that, that short story ends with just these four people talking. Everything that happens at the end of the play that he's written, the dream sequence. In the motel room. In the motel room is something that he added on. Which I don't know if it works or not, if it were real play that he made. But at the end of that play that he wrote, he shoots himself, kills himself. The, and the, the actor on stage. Yeah. The Riggin Thompson character that's being played on stage uh, kills himself. Yeah. Which and I then, think is interesting because earlier on we have the classic example of a. Chechkov's gun. A right? squib? No, um, didn't Anton Chechkov, the Russian... Chechkov? Pl- Chechkin? What am I thinking of? I don't know. I have no idea. I use English. I don't know what kind of language you use. No, um... Yeah, Chechkov. A Luger? No, 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 no. It, it's the... the Chekhov? Classic- Chekhov, thank you. <laughs> Chechkin, I don't know. Chekhov. Chekhov's gun is the idea that if you show a gun in Act 1... That gun has to show back up later, and it has to be used. Right, you can't use a gun as a red herring. Right, and early on, Michael Keaton has the gun. It's a revolver. The camera angles clearly show you that there are no bullets in the gun. I think even one the Mike the Edward Norton character Mike says something like, you know, get a different get gun. a real gun. Yeah, yeah. Everybody calls him out on it, so yeah. you know that this gun's going to have to show back up later. Uh, towards the end of the film. We see the new gun. It's a semi-automatic. There's a clip. He unloads the gun. Or he, he takes the clip out of the gun. And you see that the gun is a blank. It's just the casing. There is no bullet. Unless you look into the mirror. And in the mirror, it is a real bullet. And so this gets to a lot of the idea of what Michael Keane's character sees versus what is reality. And so then he goes on the stage with this actually loaded gun and either, you believe, blows his brains out and the film ends there, or he blows his nose off and the film continues for another 15 minutes. Huh. I didn't know that there was a real one in the in the mirror. I mean, I, maybe the mirror is the real life. Yeah, I think the mirror is always the real life. You're seeing what's real. What the camera shows you, you can't really believe. So it's a mistake that he makes? He's not really trying to kill himself? If he... He, well, that adds a whole other level of meaning yeah, in terms it, of whether or not, like, his motivations and where he winds up and the whole ending of the movie altogether. Because the, 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 the overarching question is, does he or does he not kill himself? Right? I mean, that's that's the thing. At the end of the play, he kills himself, mm-hmm. supposedly. The film critic that had been threatening to ruin his play... Mm-hmm. Is the only one that doesn't react. She walks out of the off the stage. She, or sorry, out of the out of the movie theater, and everybody else out of the theater, <laughs> and everybody else just sort of stands there and claps. Yeah. And then the movie ends. You think, but then there's a coda added added to the end of it, and then this is the part that changes in. And uh, the part that they changed from the original ending that they wrote. The original, do you know what the original ending was? No, I don't know what the original The original ending was he gets up off the stage like he did the first time. And 
he walks away. It's a like the curtain falls or whatever, and then the it's a long shot that follows. It goes into the uh, audience, I think, and it goes all through the theater backwards mm-hmm. into the dressing room, and you see the Riggin Thompson character come in, sits down at the mirror, and he pulls a mask off, and he, and he's Johnny Depp. <laughs> and part of the reason they didn't use it was they couldn't get Johnny Depp. But they also decided that it was a stupid ending. Yeah, I, I like the whole metaphor of you live and die up there on the stage, and his play <laughs> is no good. We've known it's no good the entire time through. It's oh, really? Go, it's going to get lamb-blasted. It's going to fail. Lamb-blasted. Just a, a new word. La- lamb-blasted? <laughs> it's not lamb-blasted. It's land. That's what I said the first time. I'm trying to think it would be awesomer. <laughs> Another new word. If it was lamb-blasted. Oh, you've also made it. Like, your place so bad that they don't throw tomatoes at you. They throw whole lambs at you. <laughs> And then they People blast are bringing them out of the barn air. animals. And then they blast them out of the air. <laughs> Lamb blasted. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, so what do you think is the movie? How do you think it is? I think he shoots himself on the stage. Everything else is maybe that last half second of consciousness. Um, because in between the stage scene and him at the hospital, we have those shots of the jellyfish on the beach. That helped start off the film. This is something that... Uh, so, I think that book ends the film. The hospital scene's just this weird epilogue. And Yuritu said, your ego forces you to feel, sometimes when you're flying high, like you're a meteor just burning through the sky. And you're riding high and everything's great. And then you think you're doing something really wonderful and fantastic. And then the next thing, like seconds later, you feel like you're a dead jellyfish. <laughs> and that, that's the image that opens the play. I'm sorry, the movie. I keep mixing up movies and plays. That's what this movie does to you. <laughs> the bird bad. But uh, yeah, I was very confused about that. Very confused about that, that jellyfish thing that begins the movie. But I think it ends the movie too, right? Or it's, it's near the end of the coda. No, the yeah. last shot is... Emma Stone in the hospital window. Yeah. What so, do you think? She looks down, looks up, and sees him flying? I, I think... I think she's having just brain aneurysm. But does she even really exist? If nothing exists after that, what is that? Is that his I, vision of heaven? I, you're asking if I'm having like a Freudian analysis of the whole play. Whether everything is just... It's all just various aspects of the same person. And I'm not sure that's the reading I give to this film I think you could break it down that way that these are all just various parts of someone's personality that's how I see it you do yeah I think I think that's a very valid reading of it I think he blows his brains out on the stage when I watched the film the first time I watched for the bullets I saw that it was blanks and then when he blew his head off I thought oh did he just like push the gun too far up next to his head there was a soap opera actor in I think the 70s who did that and the gun had nowhere discharged and he ended up killing himself isn't that how uh, the crow died uh, he, he was shot, with a, shot blank. with a blank the, the problem with blanks are 
there's not enough black back pressure for the gun to cycle to the next bullet always. You have to modify the gun, and the gun in the crow wasn't properly modified, so the previous bullet was still in there. Jason Lee, right? Brandon Lee. Who's Jason Lee? Jason Lee uh, starred on My Name is Earl. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I don't like even think guy. he's Asian. <laughs> or dead. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I like that guy. So... No, I, I thought it's a great film. Well, then what accounts for the ending at the end at all? It's that, that last, last half-second flash that goes on in your brain right before you well, die. Well, then that is psychology. You said that you didn't read it as the person's psychology, so I'm wondering... No, what it's a Freudian that. analysis. I, I think uh, it's the same reading that you could give to the movie Gravity. Oh, okay, the ending... In that Susan... Goes, or okay, not well, Susan we don't want to spoil... Can we spoil Gravity here? Susan Sarandon. <laughs> I was about to say. Yeah. Susan Day. <laughs> Sandra Bullock's yeah. character uh, in that film, about two thirds of the way through, you can argue that the film actually ends. Huh. So. All right. And and I mean that's as much as we probably want to go into detail on that. Okay. Overall, though, would you recommend this film to people? Yeah, I do. I think it. For a long time, I was thinking Boyhood was going to win just because it seemed like the darling and. It was, uh, you know, I guess it won an award, the Golden Globes or something. And But then I watched Birdman again last night, and the thing about it is it forces you to consider it. Mm-hmm. And most movies don't have that ability. There's so much ambiguity and so much loaded meaning to anything. Like, you can sit and analyze, oh, you probably overanalyze for the most part, but there's just these little details in it that force you to immerse yourself in the movie if you're going to enjoy it. Or if you're going to get anything out of it, I think. I guess you could get something out of it on the surface level, but if you don't think about the deeper themes and psychology that's going on, then it's not as enjoyable. But the movie compels you to do that. And I think of all the of all the movies it's that are up for Best Picture, it's the only one that, that's equally... Ma- that's equally entertaining and engaging in that sense that requires analysis so yeah I mean I I agree with you I I think this is the type of movie that you go watch and then you want to discuss with people afterwards and you want to go back and look at certain scenes again certain frames interested to see what this guy does next I am too I don't think he's announced his next project oh yeah Yeah, 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 it's coming out next year and I'm making a bold prediction. Next year, uh-huh. Leonardo DiCaprio wins for Best Supporting Actor Ooh. for the movie that he's in. Wow. It's called The Revenant. And it's uh, about a bear mauling. It's got Tom Hardy in it. Oh, I like the Hardy. Uh, he, I think he's the guy that gets mauled. And Leonardo DiCaprio and his buddies kind of leave him out there. Ooh. Who's playing the bear? <laughs> I don't know. But you know, that's the way I want to die. I don't want to be attacked or mauled by a bear. Yeah, that's my. <laughs> until I told you that bears don't normally kill their prey. No, yeah, but they they, they maul you until you're near death. No, and, and then they. No, I want them to kill me. That's my point. I, that's how I want to be killed by the bear. I want the <laughs> well, bear to you, maul me you to want death. A bear attack. Yeah, but the problem is they I don't often... want the, just the attack where I don't get killed. <laughs> I want to be killed. Yeah. No, normally they start eating their prey before it's dead. I want to get mauled by an abnormal bear. 
That kills me to the very end. Uh, Yeah, so that's my bold prediction for Oscar 2016. Leonardo DiCaprio, Best Supporting Actor for The Revenant. Write it down. For The Revenant. Yogi's Revenge. The Revenant. (laughs) No. You should have given that bear the picnic basket. (laughs) And uh, Michael Keaton's next movie, you know what that is? Hopefully Birdman. Skull Island. Ooh. Uh, with J.K. Simmons. Ooh, he's going to be like in that. The, the J.K. Oh, Skull yeah. Island. Oh, um, that's uh, King Kong. The prequel the to that King they Kong. Got King yeah. Kong all yeah. of. I like it. Uh, I hate it. <laughs> Edward Norton's next movie? Sausage Party. Ooh. It's a cartoon for adults. <laughs> a sausage falls out of a shopping cart. And goes on an existential journey. It's got Seth Rogen in it. It's got everybody from uh, This Is The End, except for Jay Baruchel. <laughs> they left that guy out of it. <laughs> and everybody else that was in that movie is in this movie as voice actors. Interesting. They're uh, all coming out in 2015. They'll all be up for Best Picture next year. I don't <laughs> think sure. Sausage Party is going to be up. <laughs> I don't think Skull Island will either. No, no. But it'd be interesting to see what they do with it. The guy that's directing and producing it is 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 a is, I've never heard of him, and I, I don't think I've heard of any movie that he's ever been in. So, who seems producing to be, Skull Island? Yeah, hmm. seems to me like it's a it's a it's a studio uh, vehicle. Yeah, and those don't generally work out well, <laughs> as far as I know. Yeah, if but. you're not a Marvel film, I, I tend to agree. But oh well. Uh, um. I will withhold judgment until I at least see a trailer for it. And I'm sure we'll talk about that on the show in a future episode. Right. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Yeah, let us know what you thought of Birdman. Uh, You can email us at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at thelaughpodcast. Or we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelaughpodcast. We've got a Twitter tweet from from somebody that... uh, suggested that uh or they took your suggestion to watch john wick uh-huh or actually we do also a we laugh podcast where we preview the upcoming weekend's entertainment uh so I'd like you to check that out and they, she did or he did i guess she did i think it was he i think it was sam from virginia uh saw it and uh liked it liked our recommendation Mr. Two Frames over there gave the recommendation that you watch that for Valentine's Day easy film to recommend so look forward to that and we've got some other shows coming up what else is what's the next show that's coming out Uh, next show that's coming up will be our uh, second episode of the We Laugh Uh, it'll be coming out Wednesday night Thursday morning and basically it's just our preview show for what's coming out uh, over the weekend alright so look for that and uh We'll catch up with you guys next time. All right. So for the two frames bowl over there. It's been a pleasure. I'm the L train. Pox it bonum, everybody. There be dragons.